It's an honor to be a part of this church. I'm so grateful to have you guys to call family. And I was raised by people who believed that church was a good thing. How many of you agree with me? That's good, because we're going to talk about the good part of church today. Why church? Let's just take a minute and give the Lord an opportunity to do something in our heart so that our ears are attuned to what he's saying to us as individuals. Lord Jesus, thank you for the church. You died for it. You bled for it. We're your body. We pray that as we're listening today, when we listen to all that you are saying to us, that we listen with ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us as individuals. I pray also that we listen to what you are saying to us as a church, as a corporate body, so that we can become all that you intended us to be. Amen. So if you know me very well, you will know that my favorite book in the Bible is Ephesians. I've lived my whole life in the church. And the church has shaped almost every single thing that I've ever done. As a little, little girl, I think I was three days old my first time going to church. And my mom and dad never um, were comfortable with us staying home from church. Even if we were sick, it was like, Mom, I'm sick. Oh, good. Anointing oil at church. Prayer for the healings at church. That's where we go when we're sick, you know. And so I was raised in hardcore church. We now have soft church, pretty much. Um, but. I feel sorry for you guys, because hardcore church is real good. And there's a lot of biblical basis for church and the people who come here becoming a force because we're committed to this idea of church. So I want to talk today about a cultural thing that I think God is so interested in. It's something that I believe at Bethany Community Church, God wants us to get purposed about. He wants us to go after it. He wants us to get determined about developing this culture here. And that's a culture of giving grace. Ephesians 4 starts out, here we are, hardcore church. As a prisoner for the Lord then, wow, I could preach on that all day. Most of us are like, we'll tell you, Jesus, when you can come in, as opposed to being a prisoner where you're sort of contained. I urge you, actually, is he saying that I'm a prisoner for the Lord? I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received, gives us a list. And I love some of the language in Ephesians 4. 
be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity. No, I'm going to go back to that. Make what kind of an effort? What kind? Make what? Every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. In other words, your relationship with Jesus, same one I have. It's the same hope. I was called, you were called, we were all called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then the Bible says, but to each one of us grace has been given. But to each one of us grace has been given. This idea of giving grace, it's a call to a new culture. When you come into the church, the church is supposed to be a place that has a different culture than the world. You guys all agree with that? It's a call to a new culture. It's a culture where giving grace, it's the plan for health and wellness. Now, how do I know that? Because that is the story of the cross. How do I get redeemed? I got grace. How do I get healing? I got grace. I had a heavenly father who sent his son to the world to die for me as an individual so that I could have grace given to me, and that means I can be healthy and well and whole in my spirit. It doesn't matter all the abuse I had as a child. It doesn't matter all the dumb things I did before I came to know Christ. All of my past has been forgiven. I'm a new person. It's a new culture, and it's a grace culture, and that's a good culture. How many of you in this building have had grace applied to your life. You've needed grace and you've had it applied. Some of you are sitting here thinking of times when you just, you were so aware of grace and what grace did in your life. You thought to yourself, I don't deserve it. Nothing I did, nothing I could have ever done would have fixed all the broken things but somewhere grace was applied to my life. Wow, so good. So what's a grace-giving culture? Well, first of all, and this is, this is terrible, but it's true, a grace-giving culture acknowledges that there are a multitude of sins. Now, 
This is weird because the world's preference is to say there are no sins. And that would be great, except we, we know, like, they're sinners. Like, they stole from me. That feels like a sin, you know? Or um, they, they, they did something to defraud me. That doesn't feel good. You know, we know that there are sins. So we cannot be like the world and pretend that in the church we got a bunch of sinless people. And if you walked in this building because you're hungry for a relationship with God and you're coming to this place and you think you're coming here to a bunch of people who think that they are sinless, you are wrong because this place is filled with sinners. Bad news. You go to church with people. In this room, people are struggling with all manner of sin. Some have addictions right this very minute. Some are prideful. Their pridefulness has kept them from doing what they need to do to be in right relationship with God. Some are given over to selfish ambition. Jesus is always last. Their dreams for their future is always first. Some are, and that's a sin. Some are fearful. Some are angry. They've been angry since they can remember, and they're going to stay angry. Some have plotted against others. Some are gossips. Some struggle with sexual sin. Some have held grudges and offenses, and they have built walls, and they like it that way. Some are troublemakers. This is the one that, if you work with me at the barn, you know, I don't really like. Some are lazy. I don't like that sin. Some are liars. Some are cold without empathy. Some people in this room are arrogant. Some are demanding. They call you once, they call you 50 times. Some are rebellious. Some are deceivers. A few are a lot on this list. And, and these are just a few of the sin struggles that the people in this room have. And I'm telling the truth. Maybe you find a new church because this one's just, it's totally populated with sinners. You go and then you find out the new place that you went to. It's populated by guess what? Same sinners. Yep. So what on earth or what are those in heaven thinking, suggesting that the church is this place that we can come together and produce a good result? I mean, let's face it, corruption is contagious. And if you don't believe that, just let your kids hang out with somebody who 
has a bad attitude, you'll start to find out you have rebellious kids or, you know, let, have yourself spend all your time with some person who's always unhappy. You'll start to find out you're unhappy about a lot of things too. Now, the worldly response is that there's no sins. You do it. You want to do it. It's your decision to do it. And we get uncomfortable in the world with talking about sin. They've renamed almost every sin. It's not selfishness. It's self-care. It's not bitterness. It's, it's self-protection. Just need to protect myself. It's not addiction. It's self-soothing. It's not deception. It's my personal self-space and it's none of your business. It's not arrogance. It's pride in myself. It's not gossip. It's self-preservation. I have to tell you before they do, and you need to know who's coming after you. It's not lying. It's self-interpretation. It's not troublemaking. It's serving me. It's my time. It's not laziness. It's work-life balance. It's self-boundaries. Oh, my goodness, it's on and on and on and on and on. Now, I wish that was just in the world. <laughs> right? If we can rename all of our ugly, rotten-to-the-core, putrid, smelly, smelly sin, something else, then we can continue to live in sin. And we can do it without calling it sin because sin's a bad word. But the truth is that sin has a way of becoming evident in all of our lives, every one of our lives. It starts to smell. People around are starting to go, hmm, ooh. We can't contain the consequences of sin. This is true in church and out of church. Think of all the people you know. They do the same dumb thing over and over again, and they start to have negative consequences, and then they have chaos, and it's like a circle of vortex of consequences. How many of you have been there where you did that? Be honest. You've been there. You've done it. You know it's bad. You know it's not good. It goes on and on and on. happens in the church also. Somewhere we hear about the grace of God, we're drawn to where his people gather to worship. We settle into church. We apply his grace to our personal sins. And that's a great day. Personal relationship with Jesus is the starting point for our partnership in his body. We have to come. To a personal relationship. So many of you come to church and you like the music, you might even like Pastor Phil's preaching, but you 
haven't made a personal choice to serve God. And that's the beginning point. Allowing Jesus to forgive your sins. But once we've done that, we settle into church. And after a few days, weeks, months, we start to notice we're surrounded by stark humanity. Same rotten people, same issues we encountered out of church. And guess what? These people are starting to smell your dirty, rotten sin, too. We find out that our leaders are not perfect. And their kids annoy us sometimes. Certain people in the church do certain things we do not like. And we do not agree with. We like some that the church has to offer. Our kids like the kids program. Our kids like youth group. Or like we don't like some people, but we like how the pastor preaches. He's a good preacher. I hear that a lot. Oh, I I love love listening to Pastor Phil preach. Uh, I wish the music was was more what I was used to, but we pick and choose, right? We go to church, we pick and choose what we like. But we do want this thing. We want to be able to stand back and analyze. Because ultimately, in the culture you and I live in, It's all about us. The whole purpose of church and our very carnal thinking is, do I like it? Do I like the music? Do I like the people? Do I like the preacher? Do I like the chairs? Do I like the heat? Do I like the building? Do I like the... There's a lot of do I like questions, right? And listen bad to wonder if you like it or don't. I mean, I'm not totally knocking the idea that you enjoy something, because God made you with, with, with a, an ability to enjoy. And, and every church is not for everyone. This is not about, it, you know, you've got to go to a church, and even if every single thing in it you don't enjoy, you've got to stay there. That is not what we're talking about today. We're talking about the mindset of what the purpose of the church is. And that is to give grace. That's the purpose of the church. When we walk in the door and the purpose of the church is to please us, then it gets troublesome. We forgive the people we like. We hold those we don't like in harsh criticism. This is true for all of us. It's easy to forgive people we like. It's so easy. If I like you and you do something that annoys me, like, I'm like, oh, it's all right, I got you. you know. If I don't like you and you aren't somebody that I feel, then 
I'm going to be more likely to say, that person's driving me crazy. We tell ourselves that we're just acknowledging the truth. It's just the truth about the failures of our fellow worshipers. We think if they would change, our church would be less toxic. We accuse others in our private secret conversations of being judgmental. We gather consensus that certain people are certain ways. All this feels so churchy. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, oh, you went, oh, yeah, me too. Yep, I was there too. I saw that whole thing happen. I don't know why Miss Maxine is letting those kids out first. No idea. I mean, why doesn't Christy Marais pick up Eden? Like that kid is left there all day. That, you think that that's, you think that that is, it starts just like that, guys. And then we start to have opinions, and those opinions become our strongholds. You know what? You might be correct about all your opinions, too. Certainly about my family, you might be correct. we got a bunch of sinners in my family. How does this all impact the church, though? <laughs> you know, Phil and I have been trying for a long time to sign up perfect people to come to this building. You know, you cannot interview them enough. Cannot do enough screening to get perfect people in the door. You guys just keep coming in here imperfect. And, you know, you seem kind of perfect the first six months or something, and then we find out, no, just like all the rest of them. Also, if I have to like you enough to forgive you, that's also a problem. Because I cannot like every single one of you. And you're not going to like me. This idea that we have to like each other, it's dumb. Because the Bible does not have that as a mandate. You don't got to like me. I like to work all day. You have to run. If you don't like running, not going to make it fun for you. The Bible has this amazing remedy for this humanity. It's amazing. Ephesians 4 tells us all about it. And that is grace. The plan and the purpose of the church is clear in Scripture. And I don't have time to preach it today. I wish I did. But if you research it, which I encourage you to do, you will see that the Bible is very evident. Number one, the church is this. It's where we receive a calling 
as an individual to personal grace. That moment when you have found forgiveness for sin and have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and I read that scripture to you. Number two, it's where we're mandated to live in a culture of corporate and personal accountability. In other words, we all know sin abounds. We know you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we're all sinners. But here, we don't cozy up on the couch with it. This is not the place where we go, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. Here's the couch. Let's enjoy. No, it's a place where we say, that's going to take you down. That's going to be a problem. Now, this idea that grace is God's remedy for humanity, this is where things start to get, like, tough in the church. Because if I'm mandated to live in a culture where there's personal and corporate accountability, that means the church is supposed to say, you struggle with this, whatever the sin is, I got something for that. It's called grace. You struggle with being arrogant, I got something for that. It's called grace. Let me hand you some grace. You struggle with fear, I got something for that. Grace, I love this definition. It's the power to know and do the will of God. That unmerited favor that allows you to know what God wants from you and to do what God wants from you, that's what grace is. It's interesting that in the grace culture of the day that you live in and I live in, we have defined grace in a very narrow term. We've defined grace as not being too judgmental. As though grace is actively ignoring sin to bring comfort. So no one feels too bad about themselves. But here's the problem with that. You know better than I do. You know yourself. I'm not helping you feel better about yourself by pretending you don't have a problem with sin. I'm leaving you in your sin. The idea that applying grace to my sin, it, it goes along with the idea that sin has to be defined in my life. How can I apply grace to something I haven't defined? The Bible says if you confess your sins, why do we got to confess them? He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If a Christian leader points out some areas where I'm kind of stinky, I might tell my besties how I felt judged. This is how grace is working in the culture of the day. I may make a post on uh, social about how the church has wounded me. 
I'm always interested in those posts. Do you know that people who don't know Jesus read those things? Do you think that you're helping? Like, stop doing that, church. If you do it, don't do that anymore. You go one to another with your concerns and the things you need to sort out, but you don't go to your social media and talk about how the church has wounded everyone because that belongs to the Most High God. The church is not a human-designed culture. It is the culture of God the Father. And when you attack the church, you are attacking God the Father. Don't do it. Stop it. I might start to inform others who have this same sin area. Someone's going to be coming for them. The way they are at that church. And I want to tell you, when you sit in a pew at 15 Cape Road and you come here all the time and you sit in, um, they are you. (laughs) If this is the church you belong to, this is you. You're it. When you say they, talking about you. You're the church. The church is not a bunch of leaders who get together. They're a bunch of sinners too. But grace has redeemed them. And you too. When the pastor tries to deal with your your sin or the leaders or your small group leader. We talk about how we're being targeted. We talk about, you know, how others are tolerated in their sin or whatever. We get, we act exactly like we're in the world. But guess what? The Bible actually instructs your leaders to rebuke, reprove, and expose the wicked deeds of darkness? Did you know that that's their job description? And most Christian leaders don't do that. You know why? Because they're scared of you. Because you're going to get up and leave and go find a cushy, cozy place. That you like the music, a few friends go, but that is not what church is, guys. That is not the purpose of the church. God's plan for the church is that grace would be evident to the world. God's plan for the church is that you and I can speak grace to one another. God has given us apostles, evangelists, prophets, pastors, teachers. They're God's plan for reminding us with using the giftings that they have that grace has an answer for sin and grace has an answer for all your little snarky things. God's plan for the church is that grace will be evident to the world, to those desperate for a sin solution. When we've received the power to love each other without boundaries and without regard for imperfections, then the world can see grace in action. The most powerful thing a church can do to change the world around them is not do what we do at Compassion New England. That's loving the world. That's loving our community. 
the most powerful thing you can do is come here, stick around when you get offended. Love the church. And the church are the people sitting next to you. It's not like some blob in the sky. I'm the church. You're the church. Love each other. How do we change this from being a culture of having our needs met to being a culture that imparts grace to the hearers? How do we do that? I want to present a personal challenge to this house today. A challenge to all of us, to each of us. And the challenge is this, that we become a house of God. We become a house of God where we acknowledge our sin. We acknowledge the sin of others amongst us. We don't get satisfied with the cohabitation of sin. But that while we know we are sinners, we are purposed in participating in a new culture. And that is a culture of changing how we speak our communication, how we live in front of each other and behind each other. And that we begin to live up to our purpose. And our purpose, are you ready? Our purpose is to build each other up. So, how do we do that? The Bible says, let no corrupt communication... Proceed from your mouth, only such a word as is good, edification. I love this next part, according to the need of the moment. So that it will give grace to the hearers. A grace-giving culture creates an accountability environment that practices edification. Thank you, Patrick Burke, for being faithful to being an usher. Thank you, Maxine, for doing what you do and getting up early and being here at 7.30 when I get here. Thank you, Susan Bigelow, because you're serving every day, every way that you can. Thank you, Donna, for having my back all the time at the barn for always saying it's okay Miss Sherry I got you thank you for not getting offended when I walk past you because I've got 50 things ahead of me that I've got to do thank you for giving me grace in that minute because I need it Grace is a culture that always says, yep, corporately we're humans. We know someone in this room is always struggling with some form of sin. This insistence of corporate and personal accountability, every man speaking truth to his neighbor. If you read Ephesians 4, all of you please go home and read Ephesians 4. Study it, read it. It's the message to the church. It's how the church becomes mature. And quits being babies, tossed to and fro with every offense. 
It's not every wind of doctrine anymore because you guys don't even study doctrine. It's just whatever you're offended about. Words for the moment make it possible for a holy response. 90% of my offenses don't need a conversation with the person who offended me. They need forgiveness from me. Grace extended from me. Oh, you offended me? You know what? I got something for that. I'm going to put some grace on that. Oh, 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 you, you? Did you just walk by me without noticing that I've been standing here? Uh, oh, I got, I got something for that. I have some grace. And I can apply grace. I can give you the gift of grace. It's waiting for me. There is a huge well of grace. It's waiting for you and it's waiting for me. And when we start to speak words for the moment of encouragement one to another, you will not begin to imagine what will happen in the world. What does the Bible say? How does the world know we are Christians, Christ followers? There's only one way the Bible tells us. Loving the world? Compassion New England? No. Where does the world get the indicator that something amazing is happening in the building at 15 Cape Road that's impossible in the culture of the world? Where does that happen? Because grace makes it possible for me to love you stinky sinners and for you to love me Grace makes it possible for us to engage in a different way than we've ever engaged before in our life and in our relationships. Grace giving culture, according to Hebrews, it's one that provokes us to good works. It's what will cause us to go partner together and do amazing things. We can speak truth one to another. We can begin to build one another up. We're not locked into only saying perfect things one to another, but we can begin to be people who live in the reality of the grace of God that has been given to each of us. A grace-giving culture does this amazing thing, and we're going to do it together today. It celebrates the sacred. The sacred, you have nothing to do with creating that. The sacred is our position of understanding. We don't make the rules. The sacred is kind of like the laws of physics. We don't create those. We're, we're engaged in those. And the sacred in the in the church of Jesus Christ is this dynamic that you can't change. Jesus died, that does something for your sins. And we celebrate the sacred, which is why the Bible tells us when we take communion, 
if we have ought against someone. We're to go to them. We're to clear it up. We're to get the lines of our relationship here on earth clear because God's plan for us is that you and me and all of us live in peace and maturity and harmony one with another so that the world can see the glory of God, the sacredness of the glory of God. I want you to stand with me this morning. I'm going to do something I never do at Bethany. And I don't think in I don't think in all the years that I've been at Bethany have I ever led a communion service. me. Jesus, we need your blood today. We're not able to be perfect people. We're not people that have the ability to never sin again against one another. I want you to take a moment want you to see if you can disengage that hard to open package. We're going to sing this again. We're going to sing this and while we're singing this I want you guys to I want you to talk to the Lord for real about your offenses especially those that exist in the church because it grieves the heart of God when we are totally comfortable with being offended one with another or just 
distancing from one another. It is representative of the brokenness for our sins. And together, you and I need to have our hearts broken for the places that we have allowed our sin of separation and the sin that easily hops up on all of us of just not pursuing grace for one another. I pray that you would do a work in our hearts today. As we take this body together, guys, let's commit together that Jesus did not have his body broken in vain, but so that we can be his people, his body. Let's partake together. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by grace I received my light. take this cup and let's take this cup together if you can if you can't just pretend if you couldn't get it open <laughs> it's okay we take this cup Lord Jesus and we acknowledge every one of us in this room needs it yes, God. we're all people who need to have grace given to us and as a corporate agreement, we agree, Lord Jesus, that we are going to give grace. Yes. Let's take the cup together. <laughs> 
We're going to give grace to the church for providing those cups. We're going to give grace to the company that made the adhesive way too strong for people to be able to open them. You know, I probably, as much as anyone, I'm sure there's other ones of you in here, as much as anyone else in this room, I know the beauty and the horror of the house of God. But, you know, I also know the beauty and the horror of my own home, my home I grew up, grew up in, the home I'm creating now. And isn't that just family and being human? And what is, I think the heart of what she talked about today is that the starting point is to make a decision if God is calling you to, to stay, to engage, if you're a person that's here and you don't spend any time with anyone in this place outside of when you walk in the door on Sunday mornings, this sermon probably doesn't make any sense to you. And it can't penetrate into your life because what do you need grace for? How can, maybe you're just so petty, you're getting really mad about the communion cups. But w when you start to attend a small group every week and show up to volunteer days and invite people over to your house and go over at other people's houses and go out to lunch together, you, you start to engage. That's when you're really cracking the door to need the grace and be offended or offend someone else. So maybe some of you in this house today, you got to start with engaging a little more, spending a little more time, signing up to volunteer at the other end, signing up to volunteer in the nursery or get on the usher team, right? So I'm just going to give us a closing prayer, and then we're going to dismiss. God, we just, across this room, if you're comfortable, lift your hands. God, we thank you for your house. We thank you for your miraculous, confusing, upside-down plan that we human beings would live out your body. We would be extensions of you, Lord. God, that you filled this place with your Holy Spirit. You filled our bodies and us collectively. We're all parts of your body. We are your bride, that you're going to make us spotless, God. And I pray, Lord, that we would, if we're in this house today and we have not been loving one another in a way that the world would know that you are God, we repent and we ask for forgiveness. And God, maybe we just didn't know better. We're ready to start. We're ready to, to do it the way you've called us to do it, to give grace to each other. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.